Headstuff Studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, words from Ireland, and presidents. I'm Dark O'Shea. I'm Geraldine McAvoy. And I'm Padar Kuvonik. And you're all very welcome to our thir- the third in our series on the Irish presidency. So, today is going to be the day that many, some of you will have already voted. Some of you are probably still making up your minds as you're on your way to the booth, and some of you have decided that your own opinions are worthless and you're not going to vote. Oh, don't do that. No, don't encourage people to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Always vote. Always vote. It works so well in Australia. Yeah, well, they get in trouble in Australia, don't they? They go to prison for not voting. They take it a little bit seriously. Mandatory elections. You get hit with a boomerang or something, don't you? Yeah, something like that, yeah. A dingo eats you. (laughs) Have you not seen The Simpsons? It's a big kick in the hoop. In Belgium as well, they have mandatory voting. Yeah, That's not all they have in Belgium. What else do they have in Belgium? Amazing beers, amazing chocolates, and amazing graphic novels. Oh, okay, because you said that in a totally, <laughs> yeah, different, totally tone. different tone. totally different tone. I was like... Did I miss some current oh events? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't set a Google alert for Brussels this morning. <laughs> the European Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things, we've, we've spoken about the presidents and their championship of the Irish language, and we've spoken about the role the president has set out in the Constitution. But today we're going to talk about how the presidency reflects Ireland inside and outside Ireland, how the presidency has engaged with communities around the world, showing what Ireland is, can be, and and intends to be. And I was just thinking about this recently because it's been, you know, it's it's something that our current president, our our past, um, the previous three as well, have done in in, in significant ways. And it's probably a good way to start, might be talking about the woman who completely reshaped the way we think of the presidency, which is Mary Robinson. Mm. Before, before Mary Robinson used this used a word, she used a word that had never been used in Irish context before. But when she said it, it made perfect sense. The word diaspora, before nineteen ninety or so, had only ever been used to refer to global um, Jewish communities. But when she explained, talked about the Irish diaspora, it really changed the way people thought about those communities around the world and what Ireland's relationship and responsibility was to them. Yeah. I I don't know. Maybe I'm alone on this one. I find the word a little problematic because diaspora as you say as you rightly say was used traditionally to refer if you just say the diaspora in any anglophone country you're talking about uh jews uh jews who didn't have a homeland until Mm -hmm. until the settlement of israel in 1947 um which is a whole other kettle of fish by the way that we're not going to get into yeah (laughs) um but Anyway, suffice it to say that that remains problematic to this day. Uh, the thing about it is diaspora is based on it's based on a Greek term, and it's used twice in the Bible. All right, in uh, in Deuteronomy, they say "essay and diaspora and passes tes basileas tes or there shall be a dispersion in all kingdoms of the earth. A dispersion, so a spreading. Now, seems to make sense, but the Irish translation of that is "beg to the over ufosh a grichti illa and down." You will be over ufosh is like not wanted. You will be like something that is not wanted in all the kingdoms of the earth. So you will. So why people are spreading through all the kingdoms of the earth is a little bit tricky. And then in Psalms, they say. Um, Jerusalem, Israel, The Lord doth build up Jerusalem; He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. Jerusalem, Israel So, diaspora in the truest sense of the world speaks to people cast out from a place. And now that may be true of our ancestors who were cast out for whatever reason. You yeah. know, a million people left. 
during the famine and almost two million left in the seven years after. Um, so, yeah, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe they were cast out. But it also speaks to people who are lacking a homeland. And it doesn't really speak to how Irish people went and really, well, they kind of got involved. They rolled up their sleeves and they really became... More American than the Americans, more Chilean than the Chileans, more Argentinian than the Argentinians, more Australian than the Australians in many ways. Mm. And in many high-profile ways, they went over to America and just became absolutely the most racist, most pure white American out there. So it's kind of problematic when you say diaspora because it sort of suggests that, like, and especially, especially for a country that doesn't even give the right of citizenship to children who are born here, that we say, oh no, you can feel like this is your homeland if your great, 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 great grandfather was born here. But if you go to school in Bray and you've only ever lived in Ireland, we're going to deport your ass. It's a scary thought and that particularly how some candidates in the presidential election have talked about reaching out to kind of the Irish community and, and wondering how we can talk to them more and then Skype that's it that's yeah. the <laughs> Skype. Yeah, yeah. Skype we're going to yeah, Skype them all yeah if he wins yeah. he's going to invent Skype yeah. absolutely going to invent Skype it's yeah. great idea great idea, <laughs> great idea. no I, I agree with what you're saying uh, I think now the term diaspora is problematic particularly what, like you said when you compare it with the issue of I'm Irish and then you're not Irish because you fit into a different little bubble that I've artificially created and it, it does raise there's lots of questions about you know, what is Irishness you know how can you, you we've talked about this before on the show mm-hmm. um, but I, I also do think that it, it, it was a uh, for anybody who's who's felt a bit cast out by by Ireland and and all of all three of us our generations have felt that you know having to leave myself included I, I left for a time and to plan to leave again guys <laughs> um, because it's just not sustainable to live here and that feeling and I think it's really well if anyone's seen them, a great movie uh, Brooklyn um, by Sears, that's, that's actually it nearly makes me cry every time I see it because I know that feeling so well of not feeling like you belong in the place that you are but also feeling when you come back that you're not fully belonging there either yeah. and that awful feeling of what it feels like to be that person who felt a little bit like their country didn't take care of them or like their country couldn't take care of them and had to leave so I do think it's suitable for that particular aspect but in some circumstances it is used to cover very thinly veiled racism I yeah. don't like that and also we should acknowledge how difficult it is to choose between hot hot Donald Gleeson and that cute Italian American boy I mean I would have gone for Donald no, me too but you know Saoirse gonna Saoirse yeah Saoirse I don't judge her one bit no. but like I mean she would have had to come home and, and hang out with those awful people and in live Herbert. in Wexford yeah that, that awful wagon down the road to a busybody bitch. So bad, so you know, bad. I would have left as well, but I would have taken Dawn with me. Like, come on, yes. I'll go off to yeah, Washington on, we or something. Well, we just won't go to New York because <laughs> my husband's there. And it's a f-ing small world. <laughs> it's a s- if anything, that movie just encapsulated how f-ing small Ireland is. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, somebody was in that that uh, city hall at the same time you were, and now you know you're married. Oh, God. <laughs> anytime, and I'm sure that I speak for all of us here, anytime I go to New York, I bump into someone I know from back home. Yeah, it's awful. Like, I met people, you know, that, there's that skit of, uh, I think it was Republic Italy, is like, mm. an American is like, oh, do you know me, Uncle Michael? And you're like, yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst thing. That's the worst because whenever you travel anywhere, and people say, "Oh, you're Irish." Oh, you're Irish. Do you do you know Sean Flannery? It's like, no, of course I don't know. Wait a minute, is he six foot tall, red hair? <laughs> mm-hmm. From ah, oh, yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I played Harlem with his brother. Yeah, his yeah, parents yeah. own the pub, John. Yeah, 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 yeah that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. do you know Sean? Do you? Yeah, great. <laughs> Shite. It's, it's shocking altogether. So no. presidents, <laughs> presidents, yeah. But this is, but this is the thing because this this idea of Irish identities weren't weren't haven't been formed completely in Ireland, and 
And when Mary Robinson did use this expression, I mean, and while we can talk, agree that there's problematic aspects to the word diaspora now in this, those contexts, 28 years ago was a different story. Yeah. And the, there was a lot of people who felt connected because I know we have a lot of listeners who feel that they fall into that category. Um, and, you know, it, it was a wonderful thing. And I think she may have brought it into kind of more popular lexicon as well because it is, you know, used beyond Ireland as well now. Um, and of course, I would give her credit for that. I'm slightly biased with Mary. But, I'm pretty sure um, she did. I'm pretty sure yeah, she did. Yeah, I'm I know, giving her credit I know, for that. I know that when, when Clint Eastwood made that movie, Gran Torino, um, the, the term that was being used was the Hmong diaspora. Mm. And that was the first film to recognise the Hmong diaspora. And, and really, that was when it kind of hit me that, oh, this word's have to go on totally mainstream. And yeah. it was our Mary who made it, you know... She's a great girl for that. She's just great girl for the climate ownership. change, yeah. the feminism, the She's words. Fabulous. She's a great woman. I, I'd love to point out the irony in a great girl for the feminism. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things that she did in her first, because and when when she won, won and she, she didn't get uh, the the majority of the first preference votes, she got mm-hmm. in on transfers, and there were still people who felt maybe that she was, um, well, they completely respect the fact she's very intelligent. They thought maybe she's a bit chilly, but professorial. And the first Christmas of her term, she lit a candle in the window of Arsenal Durant to acknowledge the people who were being Irish people who could be welcome. A home. candle in the window shone a light across the world. As one of the candidates said in his 60 second video. Now it was twee as all hell. It was an embarrassment of a video. But <laughs> the point was well made that that candle was iconic. And mm-hmm. it was it was showcasing something. And the fact that it was lit specifically for the people who couldn't be home mm-hmm. this Christmas. The people who are going to... Because, hey, I refuse to believe that 1990 was 28 years ago. You know, <laughs> when somebody says to me 1990, you think, yeah, 10 years ago in 1990. Um, but it was, it was 28 years ago. It was pre... Uh, pre my brilliant. birth. Yeah. I pre was, your birth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad. Hosier wasn't born. <laughs> I'm so glad that the host of this podcast is older than me because otherwise <laughs> it would just drive me to drink. Um, it was pre-internet really for yeah. the vast majority of people. Um, the vast, vast majority of people. It was well pre-mobile phones as well for the vast majority of people. So it was the last couple of years of this idea that when someone went to Boston, you were not going to see them that often. Because, again, 1990 was also pre-low fares airlines. So it was very expensive to go to one of the countries that we traditionally emigrate to. And it was starting to get cheaper to go to Britain. Um, So, you know, your uncles and what what have you in London and in other parts of, of, of Britain... We were seeing them more often, but like, yeah, your family in Boston or or Philadelphia or New York or Pittsburgh or wherever, or God forbid they went to the West Coast, you'd never see them again. Gone, just cut them out just of your gone, life. Just gone, like, yeah, which is why we had the, the famous Galtiad around about the same time. God, I hope it's Galti and not Denny. I don't know. It's one of them anyway, but sure, it's breakfast time back home. I don't know that ad. That sounds like one I'd like. I love yeah. those kind of ads. Sean, it's three in the morning. Oh, but it's breakfast time back home. What is he? Is he having rashers? He's yeah, he's rashers. Where did he get fucking rashers in he California? Went, he, no, he's not in California. Oh. He's in New York. He went down to the bodega. <gasps> he did. And the guy was selling. I'm going to say it was Denny. He's selling Irish rashers anyway. <sighs> so I'm one of one of the fine companies of Denny or Galti. Anyway, hit a masterstroke with this one, and the other one is also getting credit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he went down and he bought he bought rashers, and and he went down to, and he came home and he fried them up, and it's like, Sean, it's three o'clock in the morning. Mm. It's like, oh, but it's breakfast time back home. The ad wouldn't work now, yeah. just like yeah. who's taking a horse to France, because it's so easy to get to France or so easy to get to Boston. It's like you know, uh, oh, you miss home, do you? 
It's four hundred dollars on a well air flight. I think that like. would work though because it's still difficult. It might be yeah. easy to get home, but get transporting rashers from one end of Europe. I never am able to bring rashers to Finland because I normally have to take two flights, and they get a bit smelly in my hand luggage then by the time I get Buy there. Buy the vacuum packed ones. Yeah, they don't taste as nice. I did find. Uh, now, I found mm. a, a pack in Lidl. <laughs> just, well, uh, this has gone on a you, tangent. Uh, did, you, like, did you pack this bag yourself, madam? Yes, those are my loose rashers. My, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a beeswax covered rashers. Yes, <laughs> sir. <laughs> the sniffer dot going insane. <laughs> You're absolutely mental. <laughs> <laughs> but I did find the last time I was over, I found a pack in um, the Lidl over there. But they were called, and they had a Union Jack on the cover, and they were called English Bacon. And I was like, I don't care how much I want them. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> buying them. <laughs> and himself was like, loves rashers. His favourite thing about Ireland, like behind me, like it's rashers and then maybe sausages and then I come down the list after the yeah, okay, breakfast. Yeah. I was thinking, All of the saying, bits. Are you in first place? No, like, no, oh. absolutely not. And then he was like, oh yeah, let's get the rashers. I was like, they're not rashers. We're not getting them. I'm not buying these tan rashers. <laughs> Speaking of prime Irish pork. In the, in the 1970s. This better be good. It's a wonderful segue. Okay. <laughs> one of your best the, ones. The predecessor to Mary Robinson was Dr. Paddy Hillary, and he was voted by readers of Der Spiegel magazine the sexiest head of state in the world. Because Justin Trudeau was only a twinkle in his daddy's eye at that stage, so, oh. yeah. But So, Paddy Hillary had been Ireland's Paddy first. Hillary was the thinking woman's crumpet, I'll have you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thinking woman's crumpet. Like, he was a doctor, honey. <laughs> Dr. Honey was his nickname, Doctor actually. and a president. <laughs> and he was from Clare. Oh, yes. He's ticking all of the boxes. <laughs> from Milltown Malbay, wasn't he? He was. He was indeed. And he was, um, so he was Ireland's first EU commissioner and making him president. He initially, he did not want to be president. And it, it was it was kind of a carve up over during a leadership crisis, I believe. Yeah, well, he came but, in after Carula Dalek, who resigned after being called a uh, thundering disgrace by Paddy Donegan, the then minister for... Uh, defense, defense, yeah, defense, yeah. That's true. Oh, yeah, because he said it to a bunch of army cadets. Mm. Um, but the the so like Hillary was seen as the sort of the the, the safe choice and mm. the universal choice, and there wouldn't have to be an election. Hillary's always the safe choice, the universal choice. Uh, I don't know. Bernie was a pretty good choice. Yeah. Error. Sure, we can't go back in time and fix that one. <laughs> <laughs> but. Anyway, so Hillary grudgingly accepted the presidency, and he was—he would have been a strong leadership candidate, and and maybe and CJ wanted him out of the, CJ Hawe, he would have wanted him out of the picture, and the presidency was probably the safest way to keep him. Um, he did get the last laugh, but that's a diff- we'll talk about that another time. But while he was president, he was voted the sexiest head of state by readers of Der Spiegel. They were presented with a list of of faces, and they chose him. But then Hahi got the apparent allegedly Hahi was so jealous that he spread a rumor that that Hillary was keeping his wife locked up in a shed and he had a mistress in the arsenal drawer. <laughs> Weird. At rumor. the same at the same time Hahi was having an affair with Terry Keane. Like, wife of a judge. Yeah. He didn't even read their Spiegel. PJ Mara was probably reading <laughs> their Spiegel. And Hahi was so shocked he nearly choked on his ortolan. <laughs> Only Charlie Hawley would think that's a believable lie, yeah, that, because that was the life he led. <laughs> Mara, 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 we're gonna have to say that Hillary's keeping his wife in his shed, and he's got a he's got a mistress up in the yard. Mara, write this down, write this down, good man, Mara. And you know the, the way these things went at the time was Mara would tell a civil servant, a civil servant would be in Mulligans and say to a journalist, "I probably shouldn't be telling you this. Ah, no, you wouldn't be interested." <laughs> and the journalist's like, "Oh, go on, go on, I'm interested." <laughs> or, oh, "Oh, I don't care, don't tell me." And he's like, "Oh yeah, 
President Hillary keeps the mistress in the hours. And, <laughs> and anyway, this is this is when the, the really unusual part of the story because normally in PR they would wait, say, "Wait, wait, 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 we're just getting to the <laughs> yeah, unusual part." Yeah. We we done the wife locked in the shed, and now we're getting to the. <laughs> normally, PR people say, "Wait for a story to blow over; people won't believe it." Ah, yeah, and the a rumor is a rumor. But Pally Hillary called in all the senior journalists and said, "No news of anything. This story because the story isn't true." I'm here to answer any questions, have a look around all you like. And basically he said, you know, if anyone had any evidence for this story, back it up. Otherwise, back it up or back off. And really it worked. He didn't keep his wife locked up in the shed. He did not have a mistress. Did he bring him down to the shed and be like, look, she's not even here, lads. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never know. But what we do know is... Poor Mrs. Hillary was wheeled out in front of the journalist. He said, no, I have not been locked in the shed. I... Tell I them am, you've not been locked in the shed. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> well, we, we do know, though, that tip, there have been rumours about other um, senior Irish politicians that have been allowed to fester for one reason or another, but Paddy Hillary would not, did not count on us that at all. No. And up with that shit he would not put. I don't think I could pick Paddy Hillary out of a lineup, And I'm a bit annoyed now. Oh, like, he's really handsome. Yeah, really according handsome. to Dare Spiegel, he's very handsome. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he, he did have the sort of the monk crown thing going on. He was going bald the front oh, yeah. towards the back. So he had this. That's a given, though, in Ireland mm. at that time. I at think. that time, yeah. <laughs> all our politicians were bald. Uh, <laughs> or balding. Balding, yeah. at least. If he was around nowadays, he'd have an Instagram of all these gym pics and he'd have his head completely shaved to imply he would have hair if he chose to grow it. But he just doesn't. He ain't got time for that shit. He's <laughs> too busy being political. Hashtag political. Are, are you trying political. to make terrible accusations about Paddy Hillary? Like, say that like he might do judo or something awful like that judo judo would be a president judo and be a president what a loser what an unpresidential hobby yoga it's not a it's not a it's not a loser sport there's a lot of fine people who do judo let's let's but it just maybe they can beat us up they can beat us up Caradine let's not call them losers sorry sorry (laughs) the Irish for judo is judo you know you know what's um very, very related to the topics that we should be discussing. Yes. Yes. I.e. words from Ireland and, and yes. in particular Hibernian English. The suit worn in judo is called a gi. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I so, live for that. Yeah, Hold yeah, on yeah, to me, yeah, gi. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So one time I was sitting having a point in, in a fine establishment in Dublin, the Long Hall, which is just a wonderful place because they don't play music and they don't put the telly on. So oh, you can hear conversation. No, no, it's lovely, right? Because you can hear just the general buzz of conversation and everything. There's so no young on. ones in there talking about avocados. <laughs> oh no, women's is banned. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there was an American gentleman who was bragging about how he went up a grade in judo and how he successfully, uh, you know, w- fought his instructor. And uh, yes, yeah, so I grabbed her by the gi and I flipped her <sighs> over my shoulder. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <sighs> yes. See, the, the, and we all know what gi means. Yes, this is why it's emulsified butter used in Indian cooking. Exactly, they, yeah. that was on the Bake Off there about two <laughs> and, or three weeks ago. And, they and were all like, "Oh, look at me, key, it's lovely." Yeah, I need more gay. This <gasps> just needs more gay. This this show needs an Irish person. That's what this show needs. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the this is one of the reasons that some martial artists in Ireland refer to a a gi as a karate karate gi or a judo gi and they, they they stick the discipline in front of it just so there's no misunderstandings that they might be talking about clarified butter I just have to go and <laughs> clean me gi yeah you don't yeah. mean the clarified butter yeah Hi this is Tara Flynn I've got Taranoia that's right Paranoia with a T I put the T in Paranoia Taran- Taranoia that's the name of my new podcast about my own insecurities and fears and the lessons I've learned by being a big old thick big Egypt, but we're all Egypts and we're all only doing our best so if you'd like to share some Egyptry with me and hear some great guests every now and again why not join me on the Headstuff Podcast Network for Taranoia
Getting back to the in, our international, our presence and how they represent themselves to the international community, the next product I want to talk about is Douglas Hyde, our first Uchtron. And he was a man with a bit of the German. Was he married to a German? Was he? Oh, yeah, we talked about this already. Sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> was he? <laughs> we, we, we planned on talking about this and we didn't actually get this into yeah, the live show. Yeah, you sent me a... a Something that I was to read and didn't yeah, read. Well, <laughs> maybe if we weren't doing the live show in a licensed premises with some lovely special offers on cocktails, we might have got around to it. Yeah. Error sure. Well, we, what mm. we know now is that Douglas Hyde um, was a very to- cunning linguist and was a fan of German, among other languages. Which so yeah, being what, but hey, all of the German he spoke didn't get him elected anything by by Der Spiegel. But anyway, fake. This is we look after to, their own. to be fair, in and around the time that Douglas Hyde was president of Ireland, the, the German press was a little suspect. That's true, yeah. You it was kind really of yeah. controlled, but yeah, yeah. If they sort of turned out and said, Und, uh, Douglas Hyde is very handsome. You'd, yeah. You'd be like, uh, yeah. They did. Distance the, myself from that remark. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be, no, thank you. And while De Valera gets a lot of criticism, or um, De Valera, he, your, your pal, Garaging, he gets a lot of criticism mm. for a certain act at the end of the Second World War. Does. A certain yeah. act in which he, in a calculated gesture of neutrality, he signed a book of condolences. Well, he, he, he did more than that. He called on the German minister, yeah. Edward Hempel, to mm. c- convey his condolences. But you're right. We give Dev an awful lot of stick and we just kind of write out of history the fact that... Douglas Hyde also went yeah. to the German ambassador in Ireland and expressed his condolences in person. And this only came to light in fairly recent years. It did. It did because it was kind of hushed up at the time. Yeah. And it's also something that hasn't been given enough credit is that De Valera rang the head rabbi in Dublin to explain his actions first. Just before, because he, he was aware of the, the uh, he's aware of the optics. And he said, look, this is just, you know, this is why I'm doing this. And when it was when some letters of the Irish Times were written that Dev was a Nazi sympathizer some years back, the, the actual the rabbi in Rathfarnham Road in the in the in the synagogue there wrote in to say, just so you know, this is actually a thing of public record. Um, yeah. Well, like the reason he did it was we were we were neutral with a small N. Yeah. yeah. And everybody knew we were neutral with a small N. My, my grandfather was an officer in what was known at the time as the local defence force. It would later become the force of custom, the archer of the FCA, and now the reserve defence force. But they were all mobilised during the emergency. So he was on active duty for the for the vast bulk of World War Two. And what would happen is if an airman parachuted into Ireland, they would arrest him. Yeah, right? They would get the re- reports on the phone and they'd go to anywhere in Ireland where an airman uh, parachuted because their plane crashed or whatever, uh, or when a mariner came ashore. And if they were German, they got locked up in the Curra for the duration of the war. It's like, war's over, lads, here you go. You're going to go down the Curra in about a year's time. You'll be released on work detail, mm. but your war's over. And if it was an American or a British airman, then they were actually driven to the border. <laughs> they were dropped off in Newry. <laughs> and if anyone asks... Here's where you landed. So we were at that for the whole war. And it was because so many Irish people had gone to work in Britain and so many Irish people yeah. had gone to fought in, in, yeah. in, in gone to fight in the war that really we you know, while neutrality was a good option for Ireland during the emergency, because we would have been wiped out on a military standing, yeah. um, we couldn't be true neutral, as it were. Yeah. So we had to be sort of slightly biased towards the Allied powers. So in order to kind of head that off at the very end of the war, Dev was like, no, 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 I'm going to go and call on Minister Hempel and pay my respects to... Do we know, was this before or after Churchill's uh, remarks about Ireland, uh, cowardly Ireland, not mucking in? 
Well, I mean, Churchill was a thundering racist anyway. So. Badass. Oh, I mean, God. This, is, this is like the guy who starved 15 million Indians to death because, like, I think the food would be better served in England. Like. Oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Brian. Okay, well, I actually sorry. I've got a point to make about Churchill, um, and I thought of it after the live show. And I was raging. And I didn't make it because I was like, that was a really good point. That was a really good point, Karoji. As I said to myself in the taxi on the way home, I was like, God, that was an excellent point. Why didn't I make it there? I was, I was comparing the British reaction to Churchill, who is like God and Savior of Britain, and our reaction to Dev. Both assholes in their own right, but you know, one of them committed genocide and the other one didn't. But one of them is like. Hero and they make movies about it when they're like, oh, I'll give that guy an Oscar because he was so class. Like, not Churchill, but the guy who portrayed Churchill. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting point and I want you all to validate me on that, that point. That is actually a fascinating mm. point. You're right, like, because, yeah, Dev isn't half as problematic as Churchill, right? but he's universally acclaimed in Britain. Yeah. Like, you just, if you... Because Alan Rickman never played, we're back at it now, but yeah. Alan Rickman never played Churchill. He wouldn't have made a good Churchill, in fairness. He would have had no. to put on an awful lot too of lanky. weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Didn't Brendan Gleeson play Churchill at once? Did he? he did. Is the, the rising, the darkening storm, was it? Yeah, sure. something like that. And he was obviously excellent because he's Brendan Gleeson and he's mm. class. Gabriel Byrne played Satan in End of Days so that's that's two Irish people who've played problematic characters yeah but well though they're great actors no they're great <laughs> actors Richard, Har- Super. Richard Harris played Cromwell yes there's the Grand Slam there's the hat trick there it is yeah. <laughs> three Irish actors playing mildly problematic characters and Churchill now speaking of a very unproblematic character the next president I want to talk about uh, who in relation to Ireland's relationship with itself and the world is my gal Mary McAleese your gal Mary McAleese <laughs> my pal she's great like Mary McAleese is a great um, uh, I suppose ambassador for Ireland she's uh, even now even still she's just doing a great yeah. job she's playing a mm. blinder like, if anything woman. she's become an even better mm. former president than she ever was a president and that's not to take away from her yeah. performance as a president she yeah. was excellent she was the first president of the truly global era the first mm. president to represent Ireland well and truly as part of the world because yes. she was president from late 1997 on and you know it was just at that stage we had internet we had we had money we had money for the first time <laughs> you know the Celtic Tiger was starting to rear its ugly head but we were truly a global nation at that yeah. stage we were starting to see the first vestiges of immigration as well as emigration yeah. and Mary McAleese was a president for everyone a president everyone could be proud of in that time and I'm still proud of her I think she's yeah. fantastic and yeah. she was so representative of because she came from a North she was the first mm. kind of president and at such a poignant time in peace talks in Northern Ireland um, and the fact that she came from that background and she represented both a Northern Irish past but also an Irish present mm. um, uh, she's just such a, a wonderful kind of connector and if you do the Auris tour um, there's a, a rose garden um, at the back and it was where a lot of kind of peace talks were held um, between dissident Republicans and uh, unionists. And I believe that that's on the tour that you say that many people uh, of both sides of the argument had Irish, took Irish citizenship after the Good Friday Agreement because of the impact that their time in the Oris had had on them. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. And I remember when in the election, I remember I was, I was in university when the... Um, when McAleese is running in, initially they were those they're hoping to get after after Mary Robinson finished her term, they're hoping to get cross party agreements, maybe make John Hume the president, but he effectively said he would only do it if he didn't have to run. Yeah, and that was the story at the time. And whereas he wasn't interested in 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 in, in, in running an election against and the things that would cause mm. 
And then there, there was um, Bertie Ahern who had a, a grudge against Albert Reynolds uh, on record when uh, when uh, the first time Bertie Ahern was running for leadership of Fianna Fáil, Albert Reynolds made a quip about having a Taoiseach you didn't know where he slept the previous night. Oh my God, Whereas, Jesus and, Christ. And Albert was pushing the family man line at the time. and then Shots fired. Shots. And to be fair, in hindsight, all he had to do was say, that man is a thief. You don't have to disparage him because he's yeah. separated. Oh, but this like, is mid nineties Ireland. Like oh, he was a thief, but was he sleeping with the wife? <laughs> but was she in a shed? There was, there was still such a there was still such a taboo at the time about marital separation, mm. and uh, this is before the divorce referendum. But then, apparently, uh, Albert Reynolds had been led to believe that he was going to get the presidential nomination. Then he didn't, but McAleese did. And then I remember right before the election, uh, Conor Cruz O'Brien, who was still writing for the Sindo at the time, said that, you know, we had to be very scared of McAleese, that she was very Catholic and very Republican. And, you know, there'd be, there'd be a Manchurian candidate for, for the IRA in the in the RS if she got elected. <laughs> wow. But then again, Conor Cruz O'Brien used to see the Ra in everything. Mm-hmm. He'd be walking down Grafton Street, going, "There's the Ra!" Oh, he's out in the Congo yeah. trying to negotiate the Ra. It's the, the Ra. Ra. It's the Ra. Ra. Actually, just keep them locked up. It's the Ra. <laughs> and so, but it, it turned out then. Her I'm pre- so glad you can't defame the dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're so glad for that 2009 legislation would be. <laughs> <laughs> But when when McAleese did run, she her her presidency couldn't have been different, and her certainly her ex presidency, her emeritus presidency, couldn't have been more different. Mm. One of the things she did early on in, in her presidency was she visited Canada and Australia and presented to them what an, an alternative to the monarchy would be like, which was a little. Some people thought it was a little cheeky because I think the Australia were more planning on having a referendum on it. Yeah, they did. They've had a referendum. On and, it, yeah, it didn't like, didn't go didn't, well. Didn't, didn't go well. Because the government that were running it at the time were seen as deeply unpopular. But that said, it was close enough, kind of like the last Scottish independence referendum was close mm-hmm. enough where you can kind of see the trend. And yeah, taking the Union Jack off the Australian flag and potentially also the Kiwi flag, it might be coming in the future. And yeah. certainly Canada, Canada, they're very, very nice in Canada. I'm not yeah. sure they yeah. want to. They don't want to upset anybody. I don't think they want to upset the Queen, but hey, listen, the second it's King Charles, they might be like, oh yeah, nah, yeah. root. I think, <laughs> I think it's, it, in some ways, the monarchy is a bit like the Trinity Shannad. Uh, people, the, its continued existence is entirely based on the, on the individual popularity mm. of the people in it. And I think that fact that Queen Elizabeth is has large per, personal popularity. What she's the Ivana Bacic of the uh, royal family. <laughs> yeah, she's the Ivana Bacic of the royal family. Hmm. Mother Fuckler would just like to take this opportunity to apologise to Ivana Bacic, <laughs> to noted legal scholar yes. and actual icon. Yeah, feminist Bacic. icon, Look. noted uh, defender against genocide. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I'm so sorry to Ivana Bacic for associating her with the royal family. Fine. Elizabeth is the David Norris of the of the royal family. Oh, God. I don't know where it's done on that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I, I can see that one. So the other thing that, obviously, Mary McAleese is intimately associated with the peace process and presenting a, a, a warm house in the Republic for the, the North. Yeah, it was all about generous orthodoxy. It was just about showing that, like, I am of this background. I am of nationalist Northern Catholic background. However, here's the olive branch. Here's me taking the first steps. I am the head mm-hmm. of state of the Republic of Ireland, and I am willing to extend my hand and say, take it. Take it. And it absolutely had to be done. Because when you look north now and you look at how the DUP are acting, which is just frankly 
sickening, disgraceful. Um, that is the reception that was there. That was the, the Paisleyite reception, you know, mm -hmm. for anything like that. So the first gesture had to come from the South. And the fact that it was a Northerner mm -hmm. who was the head of state in the South, it's just, it was beautiful. It was a wonderful thing. And it, it was, I was so happy and privileged to see it happening in my lifetime. And I'm incredibly proud of the steps McAleese took to to see peace in our time and so disappointed at Arlene Foster and her gang propping up a British government that has such a flagrant disregard for its own citizens in the North that we might see a return to violence because of a hard border mm. and to undo all of the work Mary McAleese did and so many others. Even, even Grotty Little Marty Ahern, to give him his credit, worked very hard yeah. on the... One thing, though, I will say, I mean, without, and I will probably add it to your comment about, <laughs> about our former t shirt guys, but one thing I would say that um, uh, Bertie Ahern, probably. And, Bertie Ahern and his, um, and his, uh, and his, kind of, his English twin, Tony Blair, were both suspiciously good at timing and that they, they are, the, John Major and Albert Reynolds did so much work on the on the peace process and they both were basically got the boot right before the denouement of the Good Friday Agreement. And Bertie and Blair both got out right before the, the Leon Brothers crash. So they had suspiciously good timing. I think it's it's interesting that that John Major and Bert and Albert Reynolds both came from a showbiz backgrounds. In, conspiracy here, guys. No, I, I think I think I think it's in, in that's Was John Major from a showbiz circus. background? Was he from the circus? The yeah. circus? What? Let's do an episode on John Major. <laughs> That's fascinating. My wife met John Major really? when she was a tiny, tiny baby. They were up in Newry and he was visiting Newry and they got caught in the crush, uh, my mother-in-law and my wife. And uh, he intervened and he stopped. And what he was does like, oh, caught in the crush mean? Dude, like there was a big crowd and they were oh, pressed up sorry. against the barrier oh, okay. and sorry. it was quite uncomfortable. And uh, oh. and and uh, John Major, then Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain, Northern Ireland, and he said uh, are you quite all right, madam? Oh. And, and so my mother-in-law's always had a soft spot for the old Tory. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And weirdly, John Major's become like the English Jimmy Carter in his uh, kind of in his emeritus kind of presence in some of his his activism posts. If, like it's because like modern Tories are so ridiculous, yeah. you can actually look back at fondness with fondness at like 1992's version of the Tories yeah I know it's it's terrifying the idea that there's John Major mm. Chris Patton Ken Clark they're a great sound oh, bunch, great, of great bunch of lads <laughs> <laughs> bring back those Tories I'm telling you though history does queer things I'm I, I'm telling you now watch watch this space seven years time we will have the candidacy of Bertie Ahern for the president and everyone will be like oh he was a great fella wasn't he great? yeah oh, he's a great but fella. he'll be up against Carl Gorman and Enda Kenny and Enda Kenny what no no I think I think I think do you think in seven years time we will be looking at Carl Gorman candidacy and oh listen uh, I think I think those moves started seven years ago <laughs> <laughs> and possibly even and I'm 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 at a matter of a Sinead Burke candidacy oh, yes I'm not sure that Sinead will even be 35 in seven years. Oh, that's but I will. right. Yeah. But, it, but I will. But, oh. Oh, but you're going to be King of Leinster. How you can, heard it here first. Both? King President. Okay. Let's bring back the monarchy. Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> like so. I said, we can look back at old Tories <laughs> and go, those guys are a great bunch of lads. <laughs> but so, do we have anything to say about anyone else before we wrap up? Um, I, I do want to just talk about the idea of the diaspora because okay. like, we have had 
<clears throat> candidates talk about it and like this is a podcast about language and it's a podcast about uh, about the Irish language and the languages used in Ireland and the languages Irish people speak and strangely enough when we hear political figures and candidates for the presidency talk about the diaspora yeah it's always the white Anglophone diaspora. We're yes. always talking about Canada, Australia, New Zealand, America. The Britain. undocumented, which is, I yeah. hate that phrase. Like, yeah. oh, it's well, the it's undocumented Irish. Than, yeah, but they're like, it's illegal immigrants to Ireland. Yeah. We're undocumented yeah. Irish over there. But like, nobody talks about like 1 million Irish Argentines or 120,000 mm. Irish Uruguayans or 120,000 Irish Chileans. You know, people One, like, mm. like, there's like the Mexican Irish. There's so many Mexican Irish. You know, Anthony Quinn, Zorba the Greek. Oh, yeah. Oscar winning actor like won two Oscars his father Frank was a Mexican rebel he rode with Pancho Villa and you know Anthony Quinn's grandfather Frank's father was from Cork like like, why do we not talk about this about Arthur O'Connor Arthur O'Connor was a United Irishman who later served as one of Napoleon's generals like you know just and when um, when I was in Argentina in 2007 there was an election on at the time and uh, there was a candidate in the Mendoza province running called Lopez Murphy. Ah, no way. Oh, yeah. wait, did Lopez Murphy win? I don't think he did, actually. One of our listeners uh, will actually, surely correct you on I'm that. I'm sure they point. will. <laughs> <laughs> Dear mother folklore, in, in episode 32, <laughs> this, Darek said this, but actually, we appreciate all feedback. <laughs> but also, the um, there's we had a an Irish-born president of Israel, or prime minister of Israel. Uh, Chaim Herzog, who was Herzog. born in Belfast. Yeah, absolutely. We had... We had Alvaro Obregón was the president of Mexico from 1920 to 1924, and his grandfather was Irish. His, yeah, his grandfather was Irish. Um, of course, like the Irish-Mexican connection is, and and like we to talk about presidents, mm-hmm. the only president I've seen acknowledge this is is the incumbent Michael E. Higgins, and the fact that he has visited South America, yeah. mm-hmm. he has gone to many of the countries there and and spoken about. The, the, what were once close links. Now, we do see that some of them are, uh, some of the Irish diaspora to go to South America are honoured. Uh, like, we do see statues in Offaly to Bernardo O'Higgins mm-hmm. and in Wexford to Admiral William Brown. Um, they were revolutionaries and they fought imperialism wherever they went. But, like, we just, I'd love to see some more about the Irish who were part of the Austro Hungarian Empire, the Russian mm-hmm. Empire, the French Empire, the, the Wild Geese. Yeah, the wild geese, those who left after the Treaty of Limerick and, and the parting of the ways in the 17th uh, century under Patrick Sarsfield and went all around the world. But no, instead we just hear the same story about how we were the victims of a terrible genocide mm. and a famine and we went all over the world and we worked hard and we built our way up and we became very racist and now we have some terrible, terrible people with Irish names in American politics. It's yeah. I think we we are going to do a separate episode about that. And one of the reasons I've held off on it is I wanted to get an American voice on it to get a perspective. I can from. do an American accent. So. <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah. Gerardine McAvoy has this species of dog. It's not a native Irish breed. <laughs> I Why do, doesn't that's she have a native true. Irish breed? It's Gerardine McAvoy spends ten thousand euros per annum on dog grooming, and she doesn't even have a dog. It's a Finnish elk hound. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so on that note <laughs> on that note I want to say democracy is a wonderful privilege to use it today if you are in, in Ireland and have not, not yet done so we will look forward to chatting to you again next week in the meantime it's a slant from me it's a slant from me and it's a vote or die from me uh, yeah vote or die just vote vote guys. or die mother folklore <laughs> 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 boom
Hi guys, thanks for listening. Uh, Mother Folklore comes out every Friday on the Head Stuff Podcast Network um, or wherever you get your podcasts. I just want to say thanks very much to for producing us, uh, for Kirsten for doing the artwork. If you want to get in touch with the show, if you have any comments, feel free to get in touch with us at motherfuckler at headstuff.org. Um, we're all on Twitter, so check us out there and we look forward to hearing from you again soon. Salon. This has been a production of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I've got this great business idea. I'm going to build a giant laser that turns the surplus carbon dioxide in the atmosphere into diamonds.